So I went to Sri Lanka for the month of November, and I hadn't been there before. I'd been to Asia before, but not, not there. And it was such an interesting journey because, of course, I had some idea of what I was going to do there and the people I was with and some sense of course, all in my mind. And then, after only about five days of being there, um, the plan got completely changed. (laughs) And um, the people I was with went a different direction, and I was um, realizing that I had three more weeks, and uh, my plan was not working. So, it became a different, you know, a different trip than I had Uh, thought about consciously, but it was fine, you know, I was, I was there already. And so, uh, one way that I conceived of it for myself was that it had become a journey of faith, and that, you know, those, the next step was all I really needed, and as long as I could find that, then that would change the situation in a way that would allow the next step to come. And sure enough, uh, it unfolded day by day and week by week, such that that worked out. Uh, It wasn't that I didn't have to do anything. Of course, there's action needed in foreign countries. But I didn't know, I couldn't see all the way to the end. And so it has some reminiscence to our meditation practice. Uh, which is also a journey of faith, where we sit down and we don't know what's coming. But we don't have to know the whole path over our next X years of practice. All we have to know is the next step. And then that will change the situation such that we can do the next thing, whatever that's going to be. I think practice is meant to take us where we haven't gone before. And in that sense, we get these images of journeys or taking steps or discovery of new things, things like that. Going where we haven't gone before reminds me of Star Trek. Isn't that the final frontier? I think the final frontier might be our mind, actually. And that's that's the real adventure. Now, of course, life will do this anyway. Uh, I I suspect that some of you are here because life has taken you where you uh, hadn't gone before and uh, you're looking for some something to help with that. So it's not necessarily that we need to create these conditions of adventure by going across the world. Life itself will do that. But essentially there's this idea of um, meeting, meeting experience, and just um, opening to it in some way. I also understand this, you know, this 
Second way that I mentioned of going where we haven't gone before, I came to practice myself because of a health condition that I had that was more than I could deal with with the tools that I had at that point in my life. And so I needed something else. And you know, I needed a lot of things, but meditation provided immediately pretty much the... Uh, I could sense that it was providing the tools that would help me take the next step and the next step and so forth. Just continuing to show up and not allow the the waves to knock us too far. Because we do actually have the resources. Um, We're not we're not an individual separate being getting tossed about by an external world, although that's what it feels like when we're in situations like that. But actually there's, there's a way in which we're held by the Dharma. It's all part of something larger unfolding. And there's a way that we can align ourselves with that understanding and that truth that makes it easier to go through each of the steps, even from our, from our smaller perspective of our consciousness. In fact, when I was going through this uh, health-related situation, one of the frontiers I discovered that was surprising is that I became really interested in the body. Like, I had just sort of assumed assumed my body up until then, you know, it was this thing. I don't think I thought about it that much. I, I, I would have said I knew something about it because I was an athlete, but um, I didn't. I didn't really know the first thing about the body. In a way, it's the most intimate thing. It's the closest thing. <laughs> what could be closer than the body? Um, but what do we really know about it? I didn't have any idea what it was. And there I remember even the moment in meditation when I was doing mindfulness of the body, not so different from the practice that we learned this morning, of being with the sensations of the body in the language that they were speaking, and realizing, what is this? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what this thing is. Uh, it has all these amazing sensations that uh, are hard to put into words. And I've been driving it around for how many years um, without ever really looking at it. And that really opened up, felt like a whole world uh, that was so immediately accessible. I didn't have to go to Sri Lanka or anywhere else uh, to explore a huge realm of practice. There's a story actually in the suttas where um, there was a being, a powerful being named Rohitasa, who mythological um, had the ability to stride through galaxies, and um, you know his his step was several solar systems long, 
And he had the idea that he could, he wanted to get to the end of the universe. And so he started walking and he just walked and walked and walked and he said he only took breaks for eating and sleeping and using the restroom, basically. And that was it. And he just walked and walked. And he actually died along the way without reaching the end of the universe. And so this was his reincarnated form, his, his reborn next life. He met the Buddha and he told him, I used to be this being named Rohitasa and I walked through the whole universe and I couldn't get to the end of it through walking. He said, is it possible to get to the end of the universe? Um, And the Buddha said, well, it is not possible to get to the end of the universe by walking. So that whole life wasn't so useful for Rohitasa, I guess, although he he learned something. (laughs) So he said, I'm sorry, you can't get to the end of the universe by walking, but... The Buddha didn't stop there, and he he added, however, I do declare that one does not reach an end of suffering without getting to the end of the universe. And so then we're kind of left with that puzzle, because after all, the Buddha teaches that there is an end to suffering. He's not saying, and therefore, there isn't an end to suffering. So we have to ask, is there something else, some other way than through travel? to get to the end of the universe. And this is all metaphorical, of course. Travel being the, our usual strategy of looking outside for finding the end of suffering. If only I could go to the right place. If only I could have the right relationships. If I got the right job. If I just finish this thing I'm working on, whatever it is, then, then I'll be happy. And we stride and stride and stride, and we never get to the end of our universe. And we'll die along the way, trying to find happiness in that way. And so, then we may start to ask, is there some other option? And so then, when he was talking with the Buddha, then the Buddha said to this being, he said, It is just within this fathom-long body, with its thoughts and feelings and perceptions, that there is the universe, the origin of the universe, the cessation of the universe, and the path to the cessation of the universe. And so the other metaphor, of course, is that the universe and the suffering are not so different. It's that it's, it's burdensome in some way to go through this life with a sense of creating a universe, working with the universe, etc. And so he's, he's teaching Rohitasa that uh, you need to kind of turn around and we're going inward instead of outward as our, as our path. And that we actually have everything that we need to end our suffering. We don't have to create something else. We may have to clear away some things, but um, it's all possible. It's all there for us.
can be skillful to use the universe, if you will, the external world, as ways to go where we haven't gone before. Um, The journey is inward through our awareness, through our immediate experience, but we can, the point of the universe is not to provide us with the happiness, not to stride through it looking for the one thing that we're trying to get, but we can use it skillfully to create conditions for us to do our inner practice. That's maybe a more useful thing for us lay people, because sometimes we can get the idea, well, then I need to just not not be a lay person. The only way I'm going to be able to do this journey is if I ordain or go to a cave or something like that. Um, and some, for some people, that's the most skillful thing. But there's many, many options of how to use this, this universe. And once I got interested in the body, through seeing my own um, health challenges, one thing I did that was quite fascinating was I signed up for a dissection workshop. And I, um, I said, well, I really want to see what this looks like on the inside. And I didn't know that you could do that as just a regular old person, right? How could you get an access to something like that? But I just heard about it, one of those random things. I was talking to someone at a party, and they had done this themselves. And I said, where do you sign up for that? <laughs> and um, then I knew after that why I had gone to that party. And so, sure enough, there was a way to sign up. And there's a guy who's made it his life work to share the body with people. And so I did this um, week-long, well, six-day, technically, dissection course of of a human cadaver. And it was fascinating because it, um, it revealed all of my wrong views about the body, which I already knew I had from my own experience. But I had so many strange ideas about what it's going to look like on the inside. You know, you see pictures, but mostly what you see is like cartoon diagram kind of things. And it's very different in, in actuality. And it also was kind of a spiritual journey of um, encountering in myself what I would see as I was doing this, this process with other people. It was a group, group thing. Um, so I encourage seeing the world as a place to, uh, to play and to embark on our spiritual practice. It wasn't, um, you know, it's just a change of perspective. <laughs> you know, this whole thing that we've been given is a sandbox or a playground or it's not that it's always light and fun. I know it's not, but um, but what a better way to see it as a, um, as the tools and the, the materials through which we can have that inner experience that lets us go deeper and deeper and to encounter things that we haven't encountered before. They do say if you can't meditate, you should travel. So I think that might be the second best is to do these things, but maybe both is the best, <laughs> right? And so we have these, these tools that we learn through meditation that are going to help us first of all, to deal with the world when it takes us somewhere that we haven't gone before. We get a diagnosis, or we have a life situation, or we have a crisis, or a betrayal, or a uh, death of someone close to us, and and we have to work with that. And also, 
Um, I have to say that meditation itself will do this for you. If you um, sit long enough, we start to encounter things in our own being, things that we haven't processed completely, and those start coming up and taking us where we haven't gone before. We thought we were sitting calmly on the cushion, but lo and behold, these things are coming. And so it's um, the inner and the outer process work together with we have the right attitude about it to take us deeper and deeper into our understanding. The tools are always here for us or are going to be presented to us. Even if this is your very first day meditating, you already know something now that you didn't know at 9.30 this morning. You've learned something from sitting with yourself for that long. And you, you might be interested to know that there aren't there isn't such a large fraction of people in the world who can sit for this many hours with themselves. And so actually that's a, that's a mark that there's already some degree of alignment and settledness and awareness in your system to be able to do that. I know it doesn't feel like it necessarily. But really it's true. It's true to be attracted to a center like this. There's, there's something there. There's a, a Thai prayer that, I don't remember the whole thing, but the line that stood out for me in it is that Thai monks wish for, may I have appropriate challenges. I like that line, may I have appropriate challenges. <coughs> they, don't, um, they don't wish for no challenges. Um, you know, may I have nothing happen to me in my whole life. Really? Is that really what you want? Um, but... You know, of course, we don't. You know, we don't want more than we can handle in some way, and so there's some balance of finding just the appropriate amount of challenge, and one where we can go where we haven't gone before with the tools that we've just learned, that we can take the next step, because we did the last step, and then what we need for the next one will show up, and the next one will show up. So may I have appropriate challenges. So part of that understanding, one thing I like about that prayer is that it contains the, um, the underlying assumption that we're going to keep going. You know, we're going we're we're to take that next step. There's a lovely quote by Winston Churchill. I don't know if he was very Buddhist or not, but <laughs> he did say, um, if you're going through hell, keep going. Which I have found useful at times. <laughs> if you're going through hell, keep going. So the, the quality that I'm kind of talking around and setting us up for is this, the quality that's called faith in the practice. And there's, there's all this setup because faith is a loaded word in our culture. If you've had any kind of a, a upbringing in a different religion, um, sometimes it can have other meanings associated with it. I don't know if it's the best translation. The Pali word is sadha, sadha, and it means something like faith, um, but it can also be translated as confidence or trust. You can take your choice. But essentially, what the word refers to, uh, if I had to, if you, the phrase that kind of goes with it is to place the heart upon. So it's actually a verb. Um, Sharon Salzberg, who wrote this lovely book, Faith, which I, I recommend, it's quite good. 
um, she, she says, since it's a verb, we should call it to phase. We phase <laughs> as, an, as an action. And it's, you know, it has something to do with the willingness. It's that willingness to show up and take the next step and be present as well as we can with what's showing up right now. That is an act of faith. Um, eventually, it becomes the willingness to experience anything, but we may not have that deep faith yet. We may have realms where we say, not that. And that's the realm that we'll move into, it's, that we'll have to move into as our heart opens and our practice opens. Faith also includes the dimension of, I don't want to say belief, but the sense, the sense that there is another way. And this is often what brings people to centers like this, is you've tried walking through the universe, you've tried getting the job and the house and the car and the partner, and it it doesn't lead to happiness, at least not the one that you were looking for exactly. and then there's a little bit of confusion. You know, it's like I did, I did everything I was supposed to do. I played by all the rules, but something it didn't work out somehow, or, or it's not, um, it's not turning out to be as juicy as I thought. And so, um, a lot of things can happen at that point in a person's life, but one of them can be that we get the idea, maybe there's another way. Like Rohitasa had that sense. I walked for all that time, and finally I just died. Is there another option? And he asked the Buddha. That was a good person to ask. And so we have a sense, you know, the very kernel of faith is a sense, there, might, there must be another way. There must be another way besides just running through my life, trying to get as many pleasures as I can and avoid as many displeasures as I can, which is the default mode and trying to do everything I'm supposed to do, or if we're a rebel, trying not to do everything I'm supposed to do, whatever view we've decided on. Um, you know, when, we, we, when we sense that unsatisfactoriness of whatever model we're using, one possibility is to feel like there might be another option. And then meditation can become uh, part of the journey that we embark on to try to fulfill that sense of, is there, is there something else? Faith is the first of the five spiritual faculties that the Buddha defined, which are qualities that we use basically to learn a skill. We start with some sense that it's worth doing this. Um, but they're also the the qualities that support us to go where we haven't gone before. And these five are faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. You might say, geez, I don't have any of those. But you do, actually. The reason that they're called faculties is because uh, they're fundamental to the human mind. There, uh, if you have a mind, you have these five. So the, the Buddha gave this as a very hopeful teaching, actually. So even if you don't feel like you have much of anything at a given moment, um, those five are always latent. They don't have to be, they can't, they can't be created. They're already there. And so they may have to be developed. They may have to be opened to and cultivated um, and integrated somehow. 
but they're there and they're all that are needed to get to the to the start, middle and end of the path. I see them also as a journey. You know, those five themselves are a journey. Faith is not listed first for no reason. It's you have to start with some sense that it's worth it to do this. And then that energizes what we do. And we begin to pay attention to the process. And then from that we can develop some stability in what we're doing, which will lead to the understanding that we're looking for. Probably a cycle. You probably have to start again (laughs) with more faith after that. But in a way, faith is the seed that bears fruit in wisdom. And there's a lovely sutta where... um, Sariputta is talking about these five qualities. Sariputta was the um, disciple of the Buddha that was chief in wisdom. He was a, uh, became an arhant quite early on and was a leader in the Sangha. And he talks about how each of these bears fruit into the next one. And when he gets to wisdom, he says that the, the perfection of wisdom is the same as the perfection of faith. Was that the um, wisdom basically kind of replaces faith. And we, we don't need the kind of right faith, um, trustful, believing kind of faith that we need at the beginning to, to take a step into the darkness, not knowing if there's a cliff that we're about to fall over or something to meet our foot. We get a little bit more faith as we walk, and each time we step forward, the ground comes up to meet the foot, <laughs> and we start to learn that we can do that. But eventually, you know, the, we bear fruit. It bears fruit into the wise understanding of how to live well. I want to read this little section from... Sharon Salzberg's book on faith that I think kind of ties this together. Anything outside of us that we look to for inspiration can crumble into dust. No symbol, no construction, no condition, no relationship, no life is immune to change. No beloved and esteemed teacher, no friend or loved one can avoid dying. Devastated by the deaths of her husband and children, my teacher, Deepama, remembered asking herself, What can I take with me when I die? I looked around me, my dowry, my silk saris and gold jewelry. I knew I couldn't take them with me. My daughter, my only child, I couldn't take her. So what could I take? At that moment, she decided, Let me go to the meditation center. Maybe I can find something there that I can take with me when I die. What Deepama found formed the core of what she could have faith in, something that couldn't be torn away from her through change. What can any of us place our faith in that endures? According to Buddhist teachings, to discover that is to know the deepest level of faith.
So whatever it is that you're traveling to discover, I hope you'll find that right here in the deepest place inside, right in the own, your own fathom-long body. Finding the thing that can't be torn away from us. Maybe so. So we have a few minutes left. If anyone has any comments or questions. Yeah. Oh, sadha. Sadha. It's S-A-D-D-H-A, just for your note-taking. <laughs> what was the verb for it? Yeah, you said it was faith, and then you said... To, to faith. F-A-I-T-H-E. It's a made-up verb. But I like it. Yeah, they're all there anyway. They don't. I describe them as a sequence. That's the um, that's the way they're described in the suttas. But there's a later commentary that has a different image for them. You can see if it works, and that's the image of a chariot being drawn by four horses, and the the two they're in two pairs, and the two pairs are faith and wisdom paired together, and energy and concentration paired together, and then mindfulness is the driver that balances the effort of the horses. And you can understand with like that, that if one horse in a pair is way stronger than the other, it doesn't work very well. And so the implication of that image is that um, faith and wisdom should, should somehow balance each other. You shouldn't have way more of one than the other. And the same with energy and concentration. You shouldn't have way more of one than the other. And so then the task of the faculties actually becomes to balance them all and make them all strong at the same time so that the cart can go down the path. How does that work for you? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good. Actually, a lot of the folks here stayed the whole day. It was very lovely. Mm-hmm. This day doesn't happen if nobody shows up. I'd just be sitting here. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm delighted everyone came. Thank you.
Okay, well maybe as our uh, last act together as a group, we can uh, dedicate the merit of our practice. This is a devotional practice, so it's part of faith, is to imagine all the beings in the universe who don't, didn't get to meditate today, and imagine that we'll also, the real beings that we'll encounter from the moment we go out the door to the people that we see at home or on the road before we get home, and just consider that we wish well for all the beings in the world and all the suffering that's out there and our small contribution through our practice, which is bigger than we think. And so we, we consider all these other beings, and we don't practice for ourselves alone, but for all beings, human, non-human, seen and unseen. May all beings find happiness May all beings find peace, and may all beings everywhere be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.